The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. Sound Rally taking a stumble as stocks fail to add to Monday's surge. Futures slightly higher right now. While the broader indexes may be searching for direction, one area that is red hot, the consumer, specifically staples. We break down the names you should be watching as we close out 2021. Another hot asset class, commodities. We have Cities Ed Morse here with his outlook for 2022 and some big calls on oil and precious metals. Plus, Elon Musk closing in on his 10% target when it comes to stock sales. Unloading, get this, another cool billion dollars yesterday. We'll get that full story to you. And later, saying farewell to a Democratic Party pillar. A look back at former Senator Harry Reid, who died yesterday at age 82. It is Wednesday, December 29, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. We are kicking off Wednesday morning with a look at U.S. stock futures. We're indicated higher across the board. This after the Dow closed higher for its fifth straight session in a row. The blue chips, the only major index to end the day in the green as the Nasdaq, Russell 2000, S&P all ended the day lower. The Dow, you can see, up 66 points on a sector level, uh, real estate, materials, utilities. So sort of this defensive tilt all of those sectors closing at fresh record highs, as did consumer staples. That sector up more than 9% since December 1st on pace for its best month since October uh, 2000. So it's had a nice run here. Leading the charge higher, let's get stock specific. Lamb Weston up 19%. Hormel up almost 17%. Walgreens higher by 14% this month alone. So that gives you an idea of where we're seeing the outperformance. And we continue to watch the move in the bond market. Once again, the 10-year note staying well below 1.5% at 1.49. And a look at oil uh, right now. We've been seeing some uh, interesting moves in the daily moves here with WTI crude slightly lower. Ice brand crude basically flat at $79. Around the world we go. A mixed picture overnight in Asia. We bring up stocks there. You'll see uh, the Japanese Nikkei down about a half a percent. Hang Seng lower by nearly 1% and Shanghai Composite, a similar story. A trading in Europe just getting underway with UK markets back open for the trading after a long holiday weekend. And you can see we are higher in the UK by over 1%. Germany slightly lower, just fractionally on the day. A developing story that we are following this morning. Hong Kong pro-democracy media outlet Stan News says it is shutting down operations after hundreds of Hong Kong National Security Police raided its offices earlier today. In a Facebook post, Stan News says, quote, because of the situation, Stan News is now stopping operations and adding that its acting editor-in-chief, Patrick Lam, has resigned and all Stan News employees have been dismissed. 
Police reportedly arrested six people, including senior staff, on suspicion of conspiracy to publish seditious publications. Authorities said they were conducting a search with a warrant authorizing them to, quote, search and seize relevant journalistic materials. The raid further raises questions about freedom of speech and that of the media in China. Stan News was the most prominent remaining pro-democracy publication in Hong Kong. It was founded in 2014. We will continue to monitor this story as it develops. Let's get a check, though, on some of this morning's other top stories. Silvana Hanau here with those details. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Seema. Good morning and happy Wednesday to you. Well, Apple is reportedly issuing some unusual and significant stock bonuses to some of its key engineers. According to Bloomberg, the move is part of an effort to retain talent and stave off deflections to rivals like Facebook parent meta platforms. The bonuses, which are being issued as restricted stock units, vest over four years and provide an incentive to stay with Apple. This coming as Wall Street keeps a close eye on shares of Apple as the company closes in on a $3 trillion market cap. The streaming wars set to get even more intense in the year ahead. According to data compiled by the Financial Times, the top eight U.S. media companies, including Disney, CNBC, Parent, Comcast, Warner Media, and Amazon, plan to spend at least $115 billion on new movies and TV shows in the next year. If you include streaming sport rights, that number rises to about $140 billion. Disney alone, which is out with its latest streaming series, The Book of Boba Fett, today is set to boost spending on streaming by up to 40 percent next year, according to Morgan Stanley. And Tesla CEO Elon Musk has sold another 934,000 shares or about $1 billion worth of his holdings in Tesla, according to filings published late, late yesterday. Musk also exercising options to buy nearly 1.6 million Tesla shares at a strike price of $6.24 per share. Since the first week of November, when he pulled Twitter users on whether or not he should sell 10 percent of his stake in Tesla, Musk has been on a selling spree. This year, Tesla shares are up more than 54 percent, making Musk the world's wealthiest person. And Seema, his net worth is now over $275 billion, according to estimates by Forbes. Wow, incredible. Great yep. stuff there, Silvana. Thank you so much. You got it. Back to the broader market. CNBC is out with this latest quarterly stock report asking investors about their outlook for the next quarter and year. From the survey, we asked what worries investors the most about 2022. Inflation is the top concern by a wide margin at 53 percent. Almost a third of people say the Fed raising rates at the wrong time. And 17 percent are worried about COVID and the economic impact. For more on what he expects for the new year, let's bring in Greg Hahn, president and CIO at Winthrop Capital Management. Greg, it's always great to have you on. You saw that survey Thank right you. there, uh, a compilation of what respondents are telling us, what they're really worried about, right, going into the new year. What would you say is top of mind? Well, of those three, it would be it would be inflation. The um, <clears throat> the markets are adjusting to this life with uh, COVID. So we're just we're just going to be living with it. Um, but. The economy, when the Fed pulls back, excuse me, <clears throat> when the Fed pulls back, it's um, uh, it's it's stimulus and the, the economy has to run on its own. 
we're going to see more volatility. And that volatility is, is what's going to be a real challenge for investors because we don't expect to see the, the types of returns in the equity market that we've seen over the last two years. We expect to see something that are going to be more muted in equity and fixed income returns. And fixed income is going to be challenged in a rising rate environment. So inflation is your top concern. You think that will put a yeah. lid on how, how much stocks can run up next year. If that's the case, how, what shifts or changes are you making to your portfolio? How do you sort of still capture gains if the gains are going to be limited? And, and so this is the challenge is this is really about expectations. So what we're investor expectations for returns. So we're still fully invested. We don't believe in trying to time the market. We're still in the market. However, we're shifting um, our equity portfolios. We're, we're, we're making some shifts uh, in the technology sector. There's we still love these business models that have recurring revenue. Uh, and that includes Microsoft, Google um, and, and Facebook that have um, just these these just uh, sustainable recurring revenues. So that's still a big part of the portfolio. We've, we've increased the consumer, um, the, the consumer staples section of the portfolio. We're, um, we've, we've got Costco and Walmart. That's still a big part of that portfolio. Um, financials we're neutral on. Yeah. So it's, it's, we're making changes in the portfolio. We're still fully invested, but the expectations really are, are, are mid single digits on equities we're for showing, next year. We're showing a chart of Costco. I didn't realize it's up 50% this year, really <laughs> a beneficiary over the last two years. Here's a broader question here for you, uh, Greg. As you compile your portfolio for the next year, you put a certain yeah. percentage in equities, bonds, and then cash. Are you upping the amount you're putting in cash? Yeah. And that's and hard for us to do. It, yeah. It's it's it we're normally a, we're fully invested. We're less than five percent. We'll we'll take it up to 10 percent and it's transitional. And the reason is when when the Fed pulls back its stimulus and the market has to just work on its own, we and we assume we don't have government intervention in the markets, which, you know, since 2008, that's what we've lived with. So if if the market flies on its own, we'll see more volatility than things like geopolitical risk and what China's doing, what Russia's doing, they start to matter. And that that will have an impact on sentiment. So that that's mm-hmm. that's a big part of it. The also the growth in the private credit sector is a problem. Sure. That that's a, a worry for us that okay. we're looking at. All right, we'll leave it there. Greg, good stuff. Wide ranging uh, view for twenty twenty two, Greg Hahn. Yep. When Thanks. we come back, a closer look at what's been a rough year for China and if the pain is likely to continue. Plus, remembering the legacy of former Senator Harry Reid. And later, a worldwide exchange exclusive with City's global head of commodity research, Ed Morse. His contrarian call on oil plus other assets like gold heading into the new year. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.
a look at the biggest gainers on the Nasdaq this year. Welcome back, everyone. Chinese internet stocks have been sinking throughout most of this year. The Crane Shares China Internet ETF down more than 5% just this week and down over 50% since January. Among the notable tech names, JD.com, Billy Billy, Alibaba, all down again this week, some over 10%. Ongoing concerns around a crackdown, reforms from Beijing hitting the tech sector hard, along with a broader Chinese market making China a much more complex area for investors as more regulation could be in the cards for 2022. Let's bring in an expert on this topic, James Liu, founder and head of research at Clarenomics. And James, always great to get your expertise on all things China. This has just been a very challenging year for investors who have been bullish on the rising middle class, the idea that China will continue to grow its capital markets. And yet, we look at the performance of these stocks because of these regulatory concerns. It's just been um, a, a really tough year. Does it change next year? Yeah, good morning, Seema. It's, it has been challenging, but you think about 2022 globally, and really our theme is normalization, especially for the developed world. And so you think about China and how it needs to catch up in terms of both performance but also economic growth. And we think there's quite a lot of attractiveness there. You know, in, in some respects at the index level, you're looking at the best entry point into Chinese equities in at least four years. And so, you know, you, what's happening is that the index itself is cheap, but also the underlying stocks within China are cheap as well. And I understand that there are a lot of concerns out there around regulatory antitrust, which has been the theme of the last two years. There's also the question that's been plaguing investing in China over the last decade, which is whether China will have a hard landing. You know, we had issues with Evergrande and the debt market this past year as well. We think that those are just long-term issues that'll simmer down and basically be in the background throughout next year. But for most investors who are underweight China, especially when you're looking at the onshore A-share market, we think this is a great time to slowly get in. We wouldn't get in 100% right away, but to start getting in at these really low valuations, we think that's probably a good thing to add to most portfolios. So if valuations look attractive, as I, clearly given the stock underperformance, that, that would make sense. And you're also thinking this regulation story is more of a longer term risk. Why are these stocks down so much? What are investors, what is Wall Street missing? Yeah, I think Wall Street is worried about whether China is basically uninvestable because you do have a lot of these one-off event risk type of situations, um, you know, targeting individuals, companies, and even whole sectors. You know, er earlier this year, we saw issues around regulation with education technology that many investors are familiar with. Um, the challenge, however, is that, that that affects only a small part of the Chinese market. And when you look at the growth of that market overall, the theme going into China pre-pandemic was just the expansion of the A-share market. And we're talking really about some of the largest tech companies in the world, you know, across semiconductors, across electric vehicle batteries, you name it, um, you know, financial technology. And so overall, in the long run, investors do need this exposure in their portfolios as that market grows. Mm -hmm. And this is a great time to start to get in with valuations so low. Whether it's Alibaba, Billy Billy, JD.com as an e-commerce play, is there a certain name here that you think has a better chance of, of rebounding, doing, a, doing better, sort of uh, portraying its story to Wall Street in 2022? Yeah, it's a great point, Seema. So we think this is different from the developed world. The developed world has done very well this year and last year. The index valuations are extremely high. And so you really have to dig underneath the surface in order to, in order to find attractiveness at the individual company level. 
I think it's very quite different from China. You know, you look at the index and it's quite cheap in addition to the specific sectors. So what we would be doing is really just looking at the overall sector, uh, overall index positioning, trying to add that over time. And, you know, when you look at areas like technology that have taken quite a hit so far this year, you know, we, we think that being neutral weight on that relative to the overall index, that's a great place to be. Got it. So you wouldn't get stock specific. You sort of trade the ETFs. Uh, we're looking at Crane shares down another 7% here in pre-market. Um, interesting moves here on a holiday shortened week. James, we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. James Liu. Thanks, Eva. Still on deck. Your big money movers, including some rough road ahead for Rivian. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Time for this morning's Big Money Movers, four big stock stories of the morning. And first, we will start with PayPal. In an interview with Japan's Nikkei, company CEO Dan Schulman says he's looking to grow PayPal's footprint in Japan and across Asia through investments, mergers, and acquisitions. Shulman adding the global pandemic pushed the world three to five years closer to an all-digital economy. Number two, Samsung, Samsung Electronics, the company temporarily adjusting operations at two of its key production facilities in China due to a COVID-19 outbreak, according to the South China Morning Post. The affected factories account for 15 percent of the company's total global production. Samsung notes the adjustment will not impact customer stock down just about 2 percent. Stock three is CalMain Foods. The stock sinking some 7 percent in the pre-market. Just like General Mills last week, the issue for the egg producer continues to be higher egg prices, not completely covering the surge in production and input costs, which are up some 22 percent year over year. Stock number four is Rivian, the EV maker delaying production of its 400-mile MaxPak battery option until 2023 in favor of its standard large battery pack. Rivian shares are down just about 14% this month. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the latest. Philip, good morning. Hi, Seema. Good morning. A new CDC study that examined a household of six people suggests that those previously infected with COVID and reinfected with the Omicron variant may have milder symptoms. They also found that the incubation period appears to be shorter than previous strains, including the Delta variant. 
The world of politics has lost one of its champions, former Democratic Senate leader Harry Reid. Reid was an amateur boxer and Capitol Hill police officer before Nevada elected him as their U.S. Senator in 1987. He served in the Senate for three decades and was the majority leader from 2007 until 2015 when he helped usher in historic legislation, including the Affordable Care Act. Reid battled pancreatic cancer for several years before passing away at the age of 82. And we've also lost a giant in sports. The NFL has confirmed that legendary coach and announcer John Madden has died at the age of 85. Madden was named head coach of the Raiders in 1969 and by 1976 had led Oakland to the Super Bowl. He finished his coaching career as the winningest coach in Raiders history. Madden then stepped into the broadcasting booth, giving color to NFL games for nearly 30 years. He won 16 Emmy Awards and called 11 Super Bowls before his retirement in 2009. Finally, after being put on ice since last week, the puck dropped once again in the NHL. The league resumed play after COVID issues forced the postponement of dozens of games leading up to its planned holiday break. The list of rescheduled matchups continues to grow north of the border, with the league postponing nine games in Canada over the next two weeks due to restrictions on fans in arenas. Those are the headlines from here. Seema, I'll send it back to you. Philip, thanks. Have a great day. Philip Nana. You too. Straight ahead, free speech under fire once again in Hong Kong. Details on this developing story when Worldwide Exchange returns. We will be right back. Stocks trying to get back on the right foot and keep the Santa rally intact after a mixed session yesterday. Futures are higher. The commodity surge may have been the story for 2021, but Cities Ed Morse is here with a reality check for investors and some contrarian calls in the year ahead. Plus, call it a biotech boondoggle as the sector fails to deliver for investors this past year. We speak with two industry insiders on the prognosis for 2022 and if it's doomed for a repeat. It is Wednesday, December 29th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Here's a look at stock futures halfway through the 5 a.m. hour here in New York. We're higher across the board with Dow Jones Industrial indicating a higher open by 53 points, Nasdaq higher by 64. This follows a muted session for stocks yesterday that left the S&P lower by a fraction of a percent. The Dow was the only major index to end the day in the green. Taking a look at cryptocurrencies, and we're also watching, before we get to cryptocurrencies, oh, here they are, Bitcoin is flat at this hour at 47,812, Ripple, Ether slightly lower, and Litecoin seeing gains of 1.7%. Getting a little sector specific, travel has really been in high focus given the number of cancellations we're seeing in the airline industry struggling to overcome these mass nationwide cancellations. Airlines did end the session yesterday higher by around 1%. Today, we're fractioning up as well, United, American, and Delta in extended hours. This as uh, flights into, out of, or within the U.S. already canceled this morning alone. That's on top of the nearly 1,300 canceled yesterday and 3,000 in the two days before that. Let's get to some of this morning's top stories now. Silvana Hanau is back with us. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Seema. Well, the CDC is investigating or monitoring 86 cruise ships with reported COVID-19 cases on board. The CDC investigates ships if they are 
one or more cases among crew members or if the cases reported account for at least 0.1 percent of total passengers. Impacted cruise, cruise lines include Carnival, Norwegian, MSC, Disney, Royal Caribbean and Virgin Cruises. Former Bear Stearns CEO James Kane has passed away. Kane, who presided over the New York Investment Bank from 1993 until its near collapse during the 2008 financial crisis, was known in his later years at the bank for regularly leaving the office to play golf and bridge, even as the company came under pressure. A former scrap iron salesman, Kane joined Bayer in 1969 and developed a rapport with its then-leader, Alan Greenberg, before rising through its brokerage division. As CEO, he helped turn the trading powerhouse into a player and deal-making in corporate finance. He was 87. And President Biden is reportedly considering former Federal Reserve Governor, former Deputy Treasury Secretary and CNBC contributor Sarah Bloom Raskin for a top role at the Federal Reserve. According to The Wall Street Journal, Biden is eyeing Raskin to become the central bank's next vice chair of supervision. That's the government's most influential overseer of the banking system. Seema, something to watch there. Yes, absolutely. Silvana, thank you. You got it. And back to a developing story this morning. Hong Kong pro-democracy media outlet Stan News is saying it is shutting down operations after hundreds of Hong Kong National Security Police raided its office today. In a Facebook post, Stan News says, quote, because of the situation, we are stopping operations, adding that all employees have been dismissed. Police reportedly arrested six people, including senior staff, on suspicion of conspiracy to publish seditious publications. The raid further raises concerns about freedom of speech and that of the media in China. Let's get more insight on the ground in Hong Kong. Joining us now on the CNBC Newsline, Shibani Mathani, Washington Post, Southeast Asian and Hong Kong Bureau Chief. Uh, it's good to have you on, Shibani. Give us a read. You're in Hong Kong. What are people saying about these latest developments? Yeah, I think um, this comes after a very long and hard year for Hong Kong where, you know, we have woken up to news of um, ongoing mass arrests and, and pre-dawn raids. Uh, and today was, was yet another one of those um, before before dawn. Um, as you as you noted, police fanned out and arrested uh, six um, senior executives who were sort of either uh, currently working at Stan News or uh, were associated with Stan News, uh, including former directors. Uh, one of them is uh, Margaret Ung, who's a prominent and, and former lawmaker here in, in Hong Kong and a, a pretty prominent lawyer. And the other one is Denise Ho, uh, who's, who's a singer, um, also um, very prominent in the pro-democracy movement. And I think that, you know, this coming after uh, a whole series of, of moves uh, from the Beijing government and, and Hong Kong authorities to essentially close down the space for critical voices, to erase uh, much of civil society, to, you know, get rid of uh, monuments that um, paid respect to those lives lost in, in Tiananmen Square in 1989. It really feels like so much in Hong Kong is, is being lost, erased uh, every single day here. How are citizens reacting to uh, whether it's the closure of Stan News and this raid that we're seeing pictures of right now that we're showing here on, on air um, or the, as you say, some of these monuments being taken down? 
I think I think that there really is a great sense of, of hopelessness in Hong Kong, which is what uh, a lot of these moves were, were sort of designed to do, right? When when Apple Daily closed down, you saw a huge, um, you know, uh, outpouring of support for that for that newspaper at the time, and I think you know everyone was watching and seeing and, and waiting to see what would be next and, and who would be next. And Stanley's uh, was pretty was a pretty obvious target, given it is a prominent uh, pro democracy uh, news organization that is you know. Critical and publishes critical articles of, of the government and articles in support of, of the movement. And you know, I think I think this coming um, again, you know, after a whole series of things this past year, I think I think people feel like the Hong Kong that they, they once knew is, is is sort of slipping or, or fading away. And there's there's just so little space for people who are on the pro democracy side to, to really kind of express their views, express their feelings, to, to talk about it. Um, you know, even uh, those who, who try to kind of go out and, and film uh, those arrests happening were, were kind of blocked by police. You know, they, they have um, uh, really, like, closed so much space and so much avenue for people to, to kind of even express their, um, you know, horror at what's going on. How are people expressing themselves, reacting to this news, if the, if the Beijing is continuing to clamp down on, on freedom of speech? I imagine they're leaning on social media right now. Yeah, you, you, you do see a lot of, of reaction on, on social media, uh, sort of outpouring of, of support, you know, for, for Apple Daily and a lot of people posting on, on Instagram and, and so on. Um, you know, I think uh, what what is also uh, contentious, right, is it's very unclear, you know, what exactly that seditious material is or, or, or what exactly Apple, uh, sorry, not Apple Daily, Sand News and I guess Apple Daily before it, uh, what exactly they're being uh, charged for, what, what exactly uh, they they said or what articles they published that uh, were considered, you know, offensive or, or seditious or against the national security law mm-hmm. or, or whatever, right? And I think that that has also created the sense that people are so afraid to to even say something in support or, or post too much or express their views because who knows uh, when the authorities might, um, you know, deem that seditious or deem that to be inciting hatred against the government and so on, right? I mean, the national security law has blurred the lines so much and, and widened the scope for what can be punished and, and, and what, what is allowed or, or not allowed. Right. I mean, they're all speech crimes that have been penalized. Mm-hmm. Shabani, uh, we appreciate you joining us. Give us uh, a look at what people are saying on the ground in Hong Kong. Clearly a significant story we will be watching very closely. Shibani from the Washington Post. All right, taking a left turn here and turning back to the markets. If there's one asset class that's taken investors by surprise in 2021, it has to be commodities. From oil and natural gas to lumber and coffee, prices are at multi-year highs, if not at all-time highs. But do these trends continue into 2022? Our own Brian Sullivan caught up with a special guest to find out. We are very pleased to be joined by Ed Morris. He is the global head of commodity research at Citigroup. And of course, commodities, a massive story this year. Let's find out what him and his team and their crystal ball sees for next year. Ed, welcome back to uh, Worldwide Exchange. Great to have you on. Is there kind of one macro theme before we get more micro that you guys have identified for next year? Yeah, there certainly is. And thanks, Brian, for having me with you today. Uh, last year, we were kind of super bullish. We thought that the commodities were going to lead uh, in terms of reach dollar, dollar-related returns, leading rates, leading credit, leading equities. And of course, that's what happened for five quarters in a row uh, until we got to this quarter. So 
we're looking at a little bit of the reverse of what a lot of people are looking at. It's a year where people are talking about inflation. We're talking about deflation in many ways in the year ahead. We're looking at past a year behind us in which you could throw a dart at a dartboard of commodities and make money almost inevitably. And this year we're looking at significant divergence among commodities. Some are gonna outperform and some are gonna be really underperforming significantly. Uh, so and, you don't. So, Ed, is it fair to say that a lot of your competitors, you don't have to comment on them, but a lot of them are calling for like a commodity super cycle next year, wildly bullish. Sounds like you and your team are, are going your own way on that. We are going our own way. There are a couple of others, you know, who are in the same path as we are. But, yeah, well, we think that neither of the bullish stories is going to pan out in the next year or two. That bullish story is based on the rate of growth. That we've seen of demand, particularly for energy, continuing uh, through 2022, 2023, we think this is related to recovery from a recession, uh, of a very deep recession. So it's been a remarkable recovery, but it's going to come to an end. And we think that people who are saying that there's going to be tight supply because of lack of investment are failing to take into account the extraordinary increase in the efficiency of capital and how much more you can get for much less these days than you could a decade ago. Yeah. So, you know, obviously you guys cover a lot, but we talk about commodities. We sort of default to the two biggies. That would be oil and natural gas. Let's start there. So the IEA out with a report in mid-December basically saying that there might be more supply than demand uh, in 2022. They sounded a little bit more bearish on oil. It sounds like you guys are, would you consider yourself bearish on the price of oil? Well, it depends on how you define bearish. So the IEA doesn't give you prices. We do. Uh, we have Brent averaging $75 for the fourth quarter of this year and $62 a barrel for the fourth quarter of next year. We have the spread between Brent and WTI widening. I call that bearish if you think of it in percentage drop from 75 to 62. But still, you don't, you, still you don't see oil prices here or in Europe collapsing. Well, no, we do. I think when you go from 75 to 62, that's an extraordinary drop. If you're talking about Europe, where we have double-digit, uh, over $30 uh, through most of the fourth quarter of uh, of 2021, we've had uh, we've had gas uh, TTF pricing in the 30 35 dollar per million BTU range. We have that at the same time next year under 10. We really think that wow. the supply side is going to overwhelm what's happening because of the bottlenecks in place this year. That that would be very good news for many of the consumers in Europe because we were uh, we were in London broadcasting in November and uh, talking about the risk of not having enough juice, enough natural gas or other types of power as certain things didn't work out and the weather got very cold. Uh, do you see that lasting in the next few months of early 2022? Because if so, it could be a very tough, very dangerous and very expensive winter for Europe. Sure, December of 2021 seems to be ending with natural gas inventories at the kind of 62% level across the European Union. Uh, and of course, the UK is a little bit special for a whole bunch of reasons. But uh, that's very low for this time of year. If we have January weather that's going to be cold and February weather that's going to be cold, uh, we're going to see the the maybe 30-some days of forward cover of inventory that uh, 2021 is going to end up with being relatively low. So who knows how, how high gas prices could go. We have the experience really of last winter in the United States, late late winter, early March, when we yeah. had an Arctic air mass hitting Oklahoma and Texas. And it's important to remember right in the heart of gas production, 
that Oklahoma saw $999 natural gas in early March and, uh, and just south of it in Texas was the, in the $850 level. So, you know, we know that Citygate Boston is not normally at $100, but it's not abnormally at $100 for a week of a cold spell. In Europe, the situation on the, on the inventory side is so tight that a prolonged cold spell could see who knows how high prices could go. There's no way to predict it. So they're, they're not going to be out of the danger until we get into late February and see yeah. where the weather is and where inventories are at the end of the winter season. And, and per megawatt hour, electricity prices are, are record highs. I mean, they're literally off the charts in Europe. Um, leave us with some ideas and some opportunity heading into the new year. Obviously, you heard your views on oil and natural gas. What, what is your team bullish on and how do your clients make some money in 2022? Sure. So we are basically bullish on a bunch of metals. Uh, these include uh, the PGM groups, palladium and platinum. Uh, they've suffered because of the supply chain problems. The auto industry, when it rebounds on a global basis, will confront fundamental shortage of both platinum and palladium. Uh, aluminum is just a buy because of a whole bunch of things, including the closing of smelters in China, the largest producer of aluminum uh, in the world. We're seeing both in Europe and in China, uh, due to the high cost of electricity, uh, energy intensive industry being shuttered, either voluntarily or unwillingly, mm -hmm. depending on where you are. Uh, so we are, you know, bullish aluminum going to well over 3000 uh, bucks a ton. And similarly, we, we're we're, we're, we're structurally bullish copper. We think that it's there for the long run. We think the, the copper super, super cycle story really does exist, and we're, we're out for buying dips when it comes to copper. Wow, big call there on the metals. And if anything, one takeaway, at least for my family, we're going to be stocking up on Reynolds wrap heading into the new year, if you're calling aluminum is right. Uh, Ed Morse, Global Head of Commodity Research at Citigroup. Love your views. Have a happy new year, Ed. Thanks for joining us again. Best to you and all your team, and thanks for what you do. You too. See you next year. And our thanks to Brian Sullivan and Cities Ed Morse. And our week-long exclusive interviews continues tomorrow with former Goldman Sachs Asset Management Chairman Jim O'Neill. His take on global equities, Europe, and much more. We are back after this. Welcome back. Despite an ongoing uncertain operating environment, rising costs, a scarce workforce, and a pandemic that just won't go away, Wall Street's top analysts are still bullish on restaurants. They are just being a bit more selective. Our own Kate Rogers has the buying opportunities in the restaurant stocks for next year. Kate. After learning how to operate in an ongoing pandemic, the restaurant industry continues to face many challenges as the Omicron variant continues its spread. Analysts are looking to names that operate well in both fully open and restricted environments, and also companies that have pricing power and flexibility as inflation continues to weigh on the sector. For Peter Soleil at BTIG, the top pick for 2022 is Starbucks. Our belief is investors should own names that cater to a higher income demographic in 2022. Um, we believe that in the restaurant space, value is going to become more a focus over the coming months and quarters. And for Andrew Charles at Cowan, Chipotle takes the top spot. Again, a company that has expressed it has room to run on pricing. It's a name where the premium valuation is justified by the sales execution and the sales strategy the company is pursuing um, focused on symbiotic, symbiotic sales drivers around social responsibility, digital loyalty and menu innovation. 
Other names mentioned by Charles as potential buying opportunities include Wingstop, a big pandemic winner, as well as two new publicly traded companies, Sweetgreen and Dutch Bros. What's key here is that all of these companies have very strong digital platforms. That's going to be important because consumers are going to want to interact with these brands via digital ordering for the foreseeable future. Back over to you. From restaurants to healthcare stocks now, it's been a relatively strong year for the sector overall. The S&B Healthcare Index, or HCX, is up nearly 24%, just behind the 27% gain for the S&P 500. The same can't be said for biotech, though. The iShares Biotech ETF is only up about a half a percent this year. And check out the Biotech Spider, or the XBI. It's down nearly 20%, tracking close to its worst year on record. Let's talk more about what lies ahead for the healthcare industry in 2022 with Les Funtleiter, Portfolio Manager at E-Squared Capital Management, and Jeff Porges, Director of Therapeutics Research and Senior Biotech Analyst at SVP Learing. Gentlemen, it's great to have you both on. Les, uh, you know, within healthcare, we tend to fixate on the pandemic, right? And the vaccine manufacturers, the companies that are working on therapeutics and oral treatments, two specific names we tend to talk about a lot. Pfizer, which is up 50% this year. Moderna up 127% this year. I'm curious if those two names um, still look attractive to you. Well, we're, um, the answer is no. Uh, well, Pfizer a little bit. But we've been, this year, we've been focused mostly on the quality, more quality names and less growthy names. Uh, well, we do own a nice, a, a good bunch of pharma, like Merck and Roche, um, you know, we've tended to be more in the service-oriented companies like United and uh, Dexcom and Thermo Fisher, and on the on the smaller side, Twist and 10X. And th- those um, those have tended to done, they haven't done as well as Moderna for sure, but uh, they they've done quite well, and we feel very good about them going into 22. Jeff, as we hopefully emerge from this pandemic, do you think investors' appetite for stocks that don't really touch COVID um, will increase? Yeah, look, it's been a spectacular year for these great COVID companies. Um, Pfizer, as you point out, up 50%, remarkable performance. Moderna, just a spectacular run. But I don't think anyone thinks that COVID will be as much of a problem or as much of a market opportunity in 2022 as 2021. Um, we're recommending that, that our clients really look for M&A opportunities in biopharma. Uh, because of COVID, these large companies will have massive balance sheets, literally $100 billion plus in some of these large companies, and they need to deploy that capital. They're facing, facing a growth crisis in the late 2020s when they lose exclusivity on big products. So we think that there's opportunity in those smaller mid-cap names that haven't benefited, as you point out, in 2021, haven't had all that COVID excitement, but offer real product value. Uh, we think that there's going to be some big deals in 2022 that will offer opportunity for investors. Yeah, m and has always been a big part of the healthcare story. Less big pharma with a big balance sheet looking to grow inorganically. Let's just scoop up a small to mid-cap size biotech company. But from what I gather, you're not a fan of any biotech names. Tell us why. Uh, well, we think that, as you as you alluded to, the small cap biotech industry has been down a bunch this year. Um, we see that continuing for an, another couple of quarters. Um, we would be, like I said, uh, looking more towards the enabling, enabling technology companies who help the small cap biotechs uh, create uh, new products like the Twists and the 10Xs of the world and maybe some of the CROs. 
uh, which are the research mm-hmm. organizations. Uh, Biotech, in our view, probably gets a little bit more attractive over the summer as the smaller companies head towards cash values. Jeff, what is your top pick across the board, whether it's pharma, biotech, medical devices? Where would you be putting your money? Yeah, look, I really like Regeneron going into the next year. The stock has sold off a lot from its highs. People are worried that they're not going to get any COVID revenue, but that was just a sort of temporary blip. They have what's soon to be one of the biggest drugs in the industry in Dupixent. They get 50% of the value of that. They had an oncology portfolio that just emerging that we'll see a lot more data for for next year. And then their biggest product, ILEA, is about to get a very nice extension to the tail with a high-dose formulation that will extend the patent protection well into the 2030s. So um, we've got a target price of 850 uh, for Re- Regeneron, and the stock looks really attractive here, um, even though uh, you know it's, it's still up from its lows of the year. Yeah, Regeneron's had a winning year. It's up 32%, and uh, clearly you still see opportunity. Great discussion, Jeff and Les. Thank you for joining me today to discuss healthcare. Appreciate it. Nice to see you, Seema. Take care, Les. On deck, checking the latest options activity with Market Rebellion's John Najarian. He'll be joining us in just a couple seconds. Stick with us. Welcome back. CNBC is out with its latest quarterly stock report. And from this survey, we took a closer look at the tech sector and asked within tech, which specific area will be the biggest gainer next year? 34% saying semiconductors, sticking with what's working. 30% software, 29% like cloud, and just 7% are investing in hardware. Joining me now, Market Rebellion co-founder and CNBC contributor, John Nigerian. John Nigerian, it's great to see you. Happy holidays. You just saw that survey right there. Where would you be putting your money, given all mm-hmm. the all the uh, analysis you do in the options market? Well, Seema, um, as you know, uh, we get that end of the year tax loss harvesting every year, um, where people, uh, for whatever uh, stock they have that has gone down, they'll try to match up those losses even though they can't do, uh, they can't repurchase that stock for 30 days, uh, they'll try to sell out that loser and match that up against some of the gains they've got. And we've seen in the energy space, not so much oil and gas on the energy side, but some of the uh, alternative powers, solar and some of the battery or storage plays, uh, really where people are focused right now, SEMA. I want to draw your attention to shares of Tesla. Uh, again, hearing about news of, mm-hmm. uh, of Elon Musk selling stock. What is the, action, the options activity telling you about where Tesla could go from here? Well, um, that's one of them where, of course, there's not much in the way of tax loss selling unless you bought the all-time high in Tesla because it's still pushed up pretty hard uh, throughout the year. Um, right now, we see a lot of speculative buying of further dated calls um, in Tesla, calls that are out there past January of this year. A lot of short-term bets, of course, happen every week. But in this one, Seema, uh, there's still a big belief that Elon Musk will continue to perform as he has and as the stock has. And if it weren't for his uh, multi-billion dollars worth of sales, uh, we wouldn't be looking at a stock that was anywhere but at its all-time high. From my notes here, I can see you're also watching the VIX, the volatility gauge, which uh, is, I believe, around 18 for the first time since Omicron hit. What does that tell you about where investors are are placing their bets? Well, it tells you that even with Omicron and uh, some of some of the shutdowns that we've heard rumors of and or 
um, increased uh, vigilance. Uh, investors aren't very scared of what this means in the in the long term or in the short term, because the futures um, have come way down, Sema. Uh, the VIX futures, that is, and the VIX itself, like you just said, um, I think the lowest level since about uh, November 19th, we, when we broke 18 yesterday and closed at the high 17s, that was the first time in uh, about a month and a half that we've been at this level. And that's with everything else that we've seen from Omicron. So I think uh, investors are more confident than they are scared right now. John and Jaren, always great to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank and a quick you, look. Have a great one. You too. And a quick look at futures indicating a higher open with the Dow, NASDAQ, and S&P in the green. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.